only interviews, Batman. Hi, this is Bert Ward Robin from the TV series Batman. You're listening to TV Confidential. Wowie Zowie, it's fantastic. Ed Robertson welcoming you back to TV Confidential Radio Talk Show about television that is going to continue our conversation that began a few weeks ago with Emmy Award winner Ron Bacon. Ron spent 35 years in network TV production, mostly with ABC in Los Angeles, where he worked behind the scenes on more than 130 different TV shows, many of which were broadcast live, including such special events as the Academy Awards broadcast and such sports programming as the 1984 Summer Olympics. Ron won his Emmy Award, by the way, for his work behind the scenes of the 84 Summer Olympics. Ron will share a few hair-raising stories about stuff that happened behind the scenes live during the Academy Award TV broadcast. He'll also talk about his friendships with such stars as Dick Clark, Liberace, Ernie Kovacs, and the Rolling Stones. We'll also talk about some of Ron's other talents we mentioned in our first conversation with Ron, which you can hear on demand on the TV Confidential podcast, that Ron's background in music composition played a direct role in landing his first job at ABC. Since he retired from television, Ron has enjoyed a successful second career as a music composer, including a live show that he performed to rave reviews. He also produced many years ago an independent film called Kite Song, which you can view right now for free at ronbacon.net, which was not only very avant-garde when Ron made it in the late 1960s, but which reminds us of the work of such other independent filmmakers as Morris Engel and Ruth Orkin. As we pick up the conversation, we said to Ron, I just finished watching Kite Song. The most interesting about Kite Song is the fact that it ever got made. For no money, really. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, you mentioned this on uh, ronbacon.net. You made it for about $600 in 1967, dollars, which is the equivalent of maybe $5,000 today, which is still not a lot of money when it comes to making a movie. For You know, for making a movie, in those days, it was like $1,000 a minute in those days. The, the cheapest you could do, really. And because of the cost of all the editing and stuff, but what I did was I cut so many corners. I did things in a way that nobody would have ever tried, which I will mention on that, because I did. I innovated a lot of things in order to save money. And when I took, took the film to the lab, they were astonished because I I was working with the camera original. I wasn't I wasn't using some print made from you know <laughs> the way you used to do it is you you you'd make. Uh, uh, work prints and all this stuff that you go through this huge ritual which I couldn't afford <laughs> so I just bypassed everything well the two takeaways for me are considering you made it for virtually no money it is very well mounted it is I think it looks pretty damn good it does it does now, the thing was there are a number of film techniques I used in there because I was very much interested in foreign films and Federico Fellini had an enormous impact on my way that I went at everything and he had recently made a film and he had muted the colors by pre-exposing the film to a white background Mm -hmm. which increases the film speed I don't know whether we want to get into this technical stuff but it muted the very bright brilliant colors 
of Technicolor, which is too bright. It made it more more artistic to make it more muted colors. Yeah. And so, so I mean, I tried this without any... I just did it on my camera original without ever even seeing whether it would work or whether I had the right... Expo- I mean, I... I and the fact is that I got it done. You you got you got it done, and there is a sequence near the end of Kite's song where you achieved the Fellini-like effect that you just described. And the important thing is you don't just do it just to show off that you can do it. It serves a purpose. It moves the story. I mean, it's a it's a thirty-minute yeah. film. So that means being a short film, it's it's like the equivalent of a short story. I mean, you've got to so you, you get. So there's you, a lot of stuff in there, and a, and a lot of influences from foreign films, foreign directors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was trying to to be very avant garde, and I probably was with this film for the time, you know, for the '60s. I mean, looking at it today, I'm rather proud of it. It's not a bad shot, you know. Not a bad shot at all. And you can look at Kite's song for free, folks, by going to ronbacon.net, ronbacon.net. Go to the menu at the top of the page. Scroll, uh, look for Kite's song. There'll be a drop. It'll take you to a page where there's a YouTube link to the movie. It's about 30 minutes long. Uh, It is unrated. But uh, if it were rated today, it would be PG-13 because there are some adult themes in it. Not a lot, but... A uh, little nudity. And, uh, yeah, sort of. little, yes, yes, a little back-hole nudity, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and violence, but I guess violence is okay today. It used to be a, an issue. <laughs> yes, well, but it's, again, it is an art film, experimental short film about a man who believes his wife and his family are both falling apart and... Uh, uh, it was written and directed and produced by Ron Bacon, made in 1967. You can enjoy it for free at ronbacon.net. Now, you made this around 67, so you would have been working on both the Welk Show and the Hollywood Palace around at, at this time. What led you to make Kite Song? I mean, I know you had done some writing before, but f- so far as I can tell... This was the first time you attempted any sort of narrative film, or was it? Yeah, it was the only time, really. I, <laughs> I had done previously done some documentary work, so I knew how to use a camera and stuff like that. But I had never t- tried to make any kind of a dramatic film. However, Jim Hobson, who was the producer of The Welk Show, apparently had studied uh, filmmaking in college, and he was very much interested in making a film, but he didn't have, he was too busy with the show. He kept, would always say to me, Ron, why don't you make a film? <laughs> <laughs> he wanted me to do this. Thing. And, and I, I didn't really have a, a, a big interest in it, but he kept, he kept pushing me on the subject. So that's how I got <laughs> doing this film. It was, it was by his nudges. And probably I, I, when he introduced me to a, a book called the film sense, it was a, remarkable book. The things that were in it inspired me to make this film. And I tried to also follow the works of Fellini and other great directors, French and and Italian filmmakers. Sergei Eisenstein wrote the film sense. Right. Eisenstein, one of the greatest filmmakers in the world. Mm -hmm. And he made his greatest film before they even had cameras that ran with electric motors. The the people had to crank the the hand, the, the 
cameras were by hand. I mean, it's amazing. And he had these, Eisenstadt had these amazing scenes with thousands of people in it. I don't know even how he managed to direct them. I, I, it was, his work stands almost alone for those who have, uh, are interested. You know, Eisenstein's great film. I'm, it's, it's astonishing, really, when you look back and say, my goodness, how could anybody ever put that together? Okay, the kite song is the first time you made any sort of dramatic na- film, dramatic, dramatic narrative film. Although you mentioned that you had experience making documentaries, documentary filmmaking—that's another type of storytelling. So clearly, you know how to tell a story, uh, you, and you know how to tell a story in film. It's just a little different form. And the one common thread between, as I understand, between the kite song. And your previous experience in documentary filmmaking is unlike a formal dramatic film where you have a script written in advance and it's and it's 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 blocked out and and storyboarded and all that. A documentary, you, you may have a loose idea of the story you want to tell, but a lot of the content will be based on what the people you interview for the documentary tell you. Yeah. And that piece. I should explain about the documentaries. I. I did, uh, I think there were like 19 short documentaries for Dick Clark mm-hmm. for one of his shows. Or the action is. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, one, yeah, I don't, it's kind of hard to remember which show it was. It was, where the action or it's happening. Oh yeah, he did a, he did a Saturday, he did a Saturday morning show with, um, with Paul Revere and the Raiders called It's Happening. That's, that's right. It's Happening, or it could have been for a show called Get, to, Get It Together. I don't remember which one. I mean, I worked, I worked so many Dick Clark shows, and but the, but I made these documentaries for one of his producers, Roz Ross. I believe her was her name, and she was so impressed with my work. She told us I had a partner at the time, Les Bender, and uh, she told us that we could do anything we wanted to, uh, and she would give us a set amount of money for doing it each week, and. We could have had that job forever, but my partner didn't want to, didn't think it was enough money. Well, he didn't realize that it really didn't matter how much money we made. It was the idea of being associated with the great Dick Clark, mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, we did 19, could have kept on going forever, but my partner dropped out of the race there, and so that was the end of that. But it was an education to make these documentaries and, and make it, you could be, with a documentary, you've got to make the point pretty quick, and you've got to be very accurate about what you do. Yeah, as I would say, you have to tell the story with economy. Exactly. And when you're working with a limited number of dollars, you have to, to tell the story with economy and economically, you know, because you, you, That's you, right. you do the best you can, get the most out of the dollars you have to make the film. There were always extraordinary things that could happen. Like, for example, I was doing some documentaries for Lawrence Welk on one of their tours, so I had notified the people who were at the stage that they were going to be performing on what what my light requirements were. I assumed that they would give me the lighting I wanted. Well, we had purchased film based on the film speed that would be required for that lighting, and they just had totally disregarded everything I said, gave me no lighting at all. I mean, they just had what they had. Well, here I had this film that was designed for bright light, and it was, we had paid a lot of money for it, so we did it anyway, and we pushed the film speed by many, many, 
amounts in order to get the thing. Well, it was a it was, the problem was that the, of course the video quality was not good enough for Welk, and it was never we never really used to use it. So lost a lot of money on that deal. I mean, it's it's interesting about documentaries. You gotta you gotta be prepared for what situation you're going to encounter, especially if you're out in the wilderness somewhere and you're you got different weather conditions. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Ron Bacon's on the line with us. Ron spent 35 years in network television production, mostly with ABC, working on virtually every type of uh, network programming you can think of, from live events to variety shows to documentaries, which, uh, which, which as Ron mentioned, Ron shot many short documentaries for Dick Clark Productions, as well as for the Lawrence Welk Show. He did work on a few scripted television shows, including the second pilot for All in the Family. We'll talk to Ron about that as well. Right now we're talking about the Kite Song. Kite Song, an experimental short film that Ron wrote, produced, and filmed and directed, made around 1967, about a man who believes his life and his family are both falling apart until he sees the light at the end of the film, and uh, you can enjoy the Kite Song for free at ronbacon.net. You mentioned some of your influences at the time, you know, Fellini and Eisenstein. Uh, I don't know whether this was conscious or not, but I, I could see another possible influence in how you made the Kite Song, Ron, in that I understand that for a number of practical reasons, you filmed the scenes first, and then you did you you looped in the sound later. You had the actors come in and sync and record the sound, and then you synced it to the footage you filmed. That I understand is a method that Morris Engel and his wife Ruth Orkin did uh, sometime earlier when they made their first film. The Little Fugitive, which is also considered a great experimental film. That's a, that was a real challenge. You see, I had a camera that was not designed for for sound. Mm-hmm. Sound cameras have to run exactly at twenty four frames per second. My camera was a was designed for filming sports events, and its speed would vary. It, there was nothing. It was controlling the exact number of frames per second because it's what the camera was designed for. But that was the camera I had to work with. So what we did was we would actually pre-record the scene. So like I'd have a scene that was the, the, where there was dialogue, and I'd have the actors do the whole scene, and then we would record it on my tape recorder, which would be what I would play back when we, when we, <laughs> when we did the actual scene. So they had to lip sync to what I had done. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it does. As, as I say, we, we did a show a couple of weeks ago on the films of Morris Engel. And my understanding is what you did with Kite Song was what he did with his first couple of movies as a filmmaker for much the same reason. He didn't have the equipment or the, or the budget to do a film where you're recording sound as well as footage at the same time. He had to do it separately, just as you did. 
And again, when you watch the Kite song, it all comes together very, very seamlessly. The production values are very, very good. It was pretty darn accurate. And it wasn't that difficult. You would think that the actors would have difficulty, but they didn't, really. It was amazing because, of course, the scenes weren't very long. Mm-hmm. But they they had no difficulty. It was astonishing to me how easily the whole system worked. Most of the actors in Kite's song are, are what Variety would call non-pros. Nobody uh, there had ever done any acting that was in my show. No, no, I did have one actor. I'm sorry. There was one yes, actor. Yes, a, a guy named Gary Tigerman, who our listeners will know. Uh, because he did a lot of he uh, he played a lot of he was, he was a very busy child star in the '60s and early '70s. Listen, uh, folks, if you watch Lost in Space, you'll remember him as Ago the Cave Boy in in the Day of the Zoo episode. That's probably his, his most famous role. But he he did a lot of movies. He did Family Affair, Dragnet, FBI. He also was on Broadway, you know, and, and did a, did a, a show there. And so he was he was an astonishing actor. And uh, and just a great friend, and also a wonderful songwriter. Yes, in fact, um, I mean his second act as a as a performer. He wrote a lot of songs. Um, he wrote a lot. Uh, he worked in advertising for a while, and so he wrote a lot of um, uh, not only yeah. ad copy, but he wrote he wrote song original music for Levi's and Budweiser and Coors, as well as some political campaigns. So he's a very very a very very eclectic artist. Yep. The other thing is that <laughs> two of the, uh, my, the children, my children were in this show as well as my wife. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then the other people were just friends. I mean, we used the people we could yes. <laughs> find to do the roles. So my wife was doing her first acting job ever, uh, <laughs> as were my children, who turned out to, God, they were incredible in that show. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I, I, again, it's it's working with economy using the resources you have and you're fortunate because uh your kids seem very natural on film and uh your wife delivers a good performance it's a very very well made film well i appreciate your saying so (laughs) i'm not sure i look at it as a perfect film or anyway but it it certainly was done with economy i mean 600 bucks in those days was all i paid to make that film (laughs) astonishing the other thing that I find interesting is, and I mean, you know this because, you know, you've worked in television, you worked in television for, you know, 35 years. Normally when you film something scripted, whether for television or for the movies, you don't necessarily shoot the film in sequence. However, you more or less filmed Kite Song in sequence. Pretty much because that safe film... And I didn't bother to slate my film, which takes up time. You know, if, if you if, if you if you were on a slate, which is the way that films are normally made, you've got five at least five or six seconds or more of wasted film. Well, I, I, it was expensive for me to do this film, so I didn't put any slates on anything. Well, that would be a terrible problem if you shoot out a sequence to try and figure out what what scenes are which. So the thing that I did was shoot in sequence, and then I didn't have to worry about that problem. And again, this is where your experience as a director comes into play as well, because a lot of good directors, I've been told, when they shoot a scene, 
they already know how they're going to cut that film together in their mind's eye as they film that scene. So again, that is also working with economy, which I I don't let's put it this way. If if I were you making that film in 19 it, it would cost me a lot more than $600 because I don't I didn't have the experience you have. So you you're able to bring your experience as a professional to make that film the way you did. Well, that's that's it had a lot to do with it. Yeah. Of course, I had access to a lot of things that the normal person wouldn't have because of my work in television, of course. And that is what made it possible to make that film. You can enjoy Kite Song for free at ronbacon.net. We'll take a quick time out. We'll shift gears and talk about some of Ron's other work in network television, including some of the shows he worked on for Dick Clark. We come back on TV Confidential. If you are a fan of character actor Nehemiah Persoff, our friend James Rosen has just published The Many Faces of Nehemiah, Nehemiah Persoff's memoir as an actor on Broadway and on television. The Many Faces of Nehemiah, available classic tvseriesbooks.com, amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. In his memoir, Nehemiah Persoff looks back on his early childhood in Jerusalem, his emigration to America during the Depression, his work as a technician on the New York subway before he became an actor, as well as his remarkable transition to Broadway. The Many Faces of Nehemiah reveals with poignancy and humor Persoff's cultural an ethical clash with Broadway and with Hollywood, and the price he paid in human terms for the success he enjoyed in his career. The Many Faces of Nehemiah by Nehemiah Persoff, available classictvseriesbooks.com, classictvseriesbooks.com, as well as amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.